After the sermon this morning, we'll sing a song together and we will head outdoors. As you probably remember from Ash Wednesday, maybe you remember that long ago, we sealed these prayers under the altar where they've been since Ash Wednesday and we're gonna take these out to our centennial altar, which is right in front of the church. And we'll gather around that and I have um, some words to say to you about the mission of the church. I, I spent time in the past several weeks reading through the minutes of the board meetings of the church and I'd like to read to you an excerpt from the pastor's report exactly 80 years ago and what was happening. Uh, if you think about what's happening in the world after, I mean, 80 years ago, it's 1942, which is right after Pearl Harbor, right? And so it's interesting to hear what the church was concerned about in those days and what life in the church was like and what they were concerned about in terms of the mission of Jesus Christ. So I'd like to relate some of that to you around the centennial altar. We'll, we'll sing a song out there. The words to the song are on the usher stations on the way out. And then there is a table in the lobby with treats for kids with a sign above it that says to remind our kids that the Holy Spirit is sweet, okay? And I put it on a real high table so the little kids couldn't just grab stuff because I had visions of certain of our children with six strawberries in their mouth at one time. And I thought that that could be a mess on the carpet. So parents, I'm gonna ask you to supervise your kids as they help themselves to the red treats uh, that are out there next to the column in the lobby after we've had a few moments outside uh, to reflect on the work of God here through his Holy Spirit. Typically, what I'm preaching uh, and preparing to preach, one of the things that uh, consumes my mind from the very beginning of the process is, um, what, what should the point of application be in a particular passage of scripture? What are we as Christians supposed to do about this particular word from the Lord? How are we to understand it? Um, scripture isn't given to us just to allow us to gain information, right? Scripture is a roadmap giving direction and providing examples for us. Scripture is used by the Holy Spirit to reveal himself and his will for us. And today I'm wondering, and I've been wondering long and hard, exactly how we are meant to fit into this story. I mean, what's in it for us? What's the point of application as we hear this story from Acts chapter two? You're familiar with the passage. We'll hear it again this morning. This is Acts chapter two, starting at the very beginning of the chapter. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, 
the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the 11, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this event happens just a few days after Jesus is raised from the dead and after he has just returned to his heavenly father. Before Jesus returns to his father, his disciples have asked them. We heard this question back in Acts 1. Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this the time when we get our power? Is this the time when we win? Is this the time when we demonstrate to the world that God is king? Is this when this is all going to happen? And Jesus replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples had been told to wait for the gift that would be given to them. And so they gather in Jerusalem and they're there on the holiday of Pentecost, which is a Jewish festival, when all of this happens, when all that Jesus has foretold, when all that Joel has prophesied comes to pass. Now we know that Pentecost is a Jewish harvest festival celebrated annually. Jews from all over the known world at the time would have been flocking to Jerusalem for this particular holiday. It was a day to go to temple, present offerings. It's a high holy day for Israel. 
But then on this particular Pentecost, something supernatural happens to the disciples. Not just the 12 disciples, there's, a, there's 120 disciples in this room gathered together. 10 times the normal number of disciples that we consider. And they're there praying in unity, gathered, waiting for the gift that has been promised to be given. On this particular day, in Jerusalem, language is a barrier. Because there are people coming from such diverse places, they can't necessarily speak to one another. They can't necessarily understand all that's happening. People from different nations still don't speak well to each other today. But on this particular day, by the mercy of God, everyone who's present hears. The barrier is removed. The Holy Spirit arrives to break down the language barriers that keep people from hearing the gospel in terms that they can understand. These disciples have been empowered for the sake of others. And I think that's why I'm struggling a little bit with the point of the application today. These disciples receive the Holy Spirit so that others can be impacted. On this particular day, the example is not that the Spirit's given for their benefit. The Spirit's given for the benefit of others. You know, usually at the end of the sermon, I say something like, consider doing this, or, or think about this, or are you doing this? Are you living in ways that are consistent with what you know is right? But I'm wondering, Maybe there's a whole bunch of Pentecost that's not for you at all. And maybe it's not about you. Maybe the point of Pentecost is others. It's just possible that that's true. I mean, we read the story and we, we hear the sound of the wind and we see the tongues of fire descending and we ask God to send a fresh touch of the Spirit on our lives. But what do we really expect to receive? What do we expect to get from him if he were to grant us the power that he's given to his disciples? Are we expecting to feel some rush of emotion? Are we hoping for some type of deep religious experience that will transform us, that will make discipline easy perhaps? What are, what are we hoping for? Often, I pray that the Holy Spirit will so fill us with his presence that we will be able to love those who are not particularly likable to us, but are loved by God. And I think that's a start in the right direction. When we seek the Holy Spirit for what he can do for others through us, then I think we're moving in the right direction. I mean, the miraculous expressions of the day of Pentecost are fun to think about, but what really happened? Peter was able to stand up in front of a group of people who spoke all kinds of different languages, and he's able to say exactly the right words. To do so with specific enough detail 
that the truth of the gospel pierces the hearts of the people who are present. He has been able to speak effect. You know who Peter was, right? You, you remember Peter, right? He's the guy who, well, the rooster crows three times and he's denied Jesus and he's something of a coward and impulsive. And, and we have had this experience on the beach where Jesus has said to Peter three times, do you really love me? And Peter's sort of thinking, Jesus, you keep asking me that because I'm not sure you believe that I love you. And, and this is convoluted Peter here, okay? This is impetuous Peter here, whose track record is not sterling. And yet when the Spirit comes, he is able to speak precisely and particularly and in a way that is anointed by the Spirit so that it's effective, so that 3,000 people are one to the kingdom in that particular day. One sermon, 3,000 people. You remember their words at the end of Peter's sermon. They were pricked in their heart, the passage says. And they said, what must we do? And Peter answers, repent, believe the gospel, be baptized. Because the gospel is for you and for your sons and your daughters and all who will come. Pentecost wasn't for Peter. Pentecost was for the people in Jerusalem who could not and had not heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you remember the promise of Christ. When the Holy Spirit has come, you will receive power to be witnesses. And we hear that and we say, we want the power. But we're not sure we want to be witnesses. And we have some idea what that power might feel like or look like. But friends, it's not about what we imagine that power will feel like or look like. It's about whether we are willing to do the task as the Spirit enables us with whatever power or opportunity or ability he gives to us. We think of power just in the terms of ability or boldness. But, you know, the word is dunamis. It's, it's, it's dynamite. And whatever dynamite the Spirit gives you that's what you use. Whatever he blesses you with, that's what you use in order to be the witness that God calls us to be. But if our focus on Pentecost is all about what we can get to do our job, we've twisted it a bit. I think what we need to focus on is what is the job? Will we do the job we're given? And then ask the Spirit to give us whatever sovereignly He knows we need in order to be able to be the witnesses He calls us to be. We need to focus then on the need that is around us. And in prayer, ask God to provide what we need 
in order to speak for him. There's so much more that can be said about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit does more than just give us power to be witnesses, right? We know, those of us who have walked with the Spirit for years, that there's many, many things the Spirit does in our lives that are more than just enabling us to be witnesses. But according to the first day, the first time the gift is given, a primary reason is that we'll be witnesses. Listen to Joel and then to Peter. Joel says, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall dream, see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And it goes on and on. And the, and the prophecy that Peter quotes ends with this statement. Verse 21. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I hope you're catching that. That the result of the giving of the Spirit is that people will be saved. That's our mission. That's what we're supposed to be about. Not just the pastor of the church, not just the associate pastors of the church, not just the board members of the church, all of the disciples, starting with that first 120 in the upper room, we are all to be engaged in this mission of seeing people saved. What we're listening for is this. We're listening for what Peter heard and is recorded in Acts chapter two. We're listening to our, the voice of our friends and neighbors and our relatives who have not yet come into the kingdom. We're listening for them to say, what should we do about what you're saying? You remember the Acts story. After Peter speaks, the people are cut to their heart. The, the Spirit has pricked them in their heart. When we talk about prevenient grace, you saw that on one of the questions that were on the board today. When we talk about prevenient grace, we're saying we believe that the Holy Spirit is already drawing people to Christ. He's already involved. He's already at work in the lives of your friends and, and neighbors and loved ones who have not yet accepted him. And there will come a time because the Holy Spirit is wakening. He's, he's knocking on the door of their heart that he'll want to get you involved in the process. He'll want a human spokesperson to explain. He needs another Peter to be empowered to say the words that will make it possible for men and women to come to Christ. And you're all nervous thinking, I'm not sure I'll have the right words. You don't have to be nervous about that. When the Holy Spirit prompts you to speak, when the Holy Spirit empowers you to speak, he's already been at work. He's already waking folks up. He's already creating the exact right time for you to say a word. And if you will listen for the Spirit, if you will seek the Spirit, the Spirit will be given you for their sake so that they can become co-heirs of the kingdom of God with us. But we must seek the Spirit for their sake. We must invite the Spirit to lead us for their sake. It can't be about us. It has to be for the world for whom Christ has died. The gift of the Spirit 
is for the work of testifying to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the people God loves can be saved from their sins and find a new way of life. So how do I pray for a personal Pentecost in my own life? Well, I ask the Spirit to open my eyes to the people who are around me that need Christ. And I begin to pray for those people. I start asking the Holy Spirit to use me to proclaim the gospel in all of the relationships of my life. And I believe that when the Church of Jesus Christ selflessly begins to pray for the Spirit in that way, that he will absolutely give us opportunities. You say, Pastor, why, why do you believe that? Well, the passage says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be given power to be his witnesses. And so if you invite the Holy Spirit to come, I have to believe he'll be true to his word. And he will give you power to be his witnesses for the sake of the people that he loves. Will you pray and ask him to make you useful in terms of the mission of Christ? I know that when we start doing this, when we start saying, Holy Spirit, make me useful, use me to speak into the lives of others, there will inevitably be adjustments that need to be made in our lives. I mean, this is part of our human condition. We haven't always said the right thing in the past, and we may have to make some amends. The Holy Spirit may point some things out in our lives and say, well, you know, before you can speak to these people, you're gonna to have to reconcile your relationship with these people, right? Because you know that that relationship's not in a good position. And so there may be all kinds of different things that the Holy Spirit points out to us as we prepare to be his witnesses. But that's all about what it means when we say we will receive power to be his witnesses. Because part of the power we receive is the power to amend our lives so that our lives are consistent with the testimony that he wants to issue through us. That's why we say we're a holiness people, right? So that our lives will reflect the passion of Christ for others and the holiness of Christ. So that our message makes sense when the Holy Spirit invites us to deliver it. And so we know that that kind of thing is going to happen. We take that as part of what it means to be used of God. But I challenge you today. I challenge you today to pray that the Spirit will bring the kingdom of God through you. That he will use you as his ambassador. That for the sake of those around you, he will fill you in fresh ways with the Holy Spirit so that we can be on mission for him. We're going to sing a song in closing, and it's going to be a recessional song. That means while we're singing it, we're going to head out any of the aisles and congregate out on the front uh, sidewalk in front of the, the memorial garden out front. And I'll encourage you to meet me there. 
and we'll have a very brief ceremony out there together. Let's pray before we sing. Holy Spirit, it is our desire that you would fill us again for the sake of the world, that we would be the body of Christ for the world, that you would use us to proclaim your good gospel, that you would use us to proclaim your peace, that we would be instruments of your peace in our world. Fill us, we plead. Renew us, we plead. Use us to your glory, we ask, Lord Jesus. And for all that you do, for we recognize that any time someone comes in the kingdom, it's not our work, it's the, your work. It's the work of the Spirit. But Lord, for even the privileged, privilege of being used by you, we are most humbly grateful. Anoint us with your Spirit in fresh ways, we pray. To that end, amen.